The January WASD offered several bullish surprises for a new year market and a final look at the 2022 crop figures. But what's ahead for markets in this unpredictable winter? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The January WASD dropped Thursday, January 12th, surprising traders and market watchers alike with stock adjustments that exceeded expectations in a bullish direction. But the WASD wasn't the only report on USDA's DACA today with quarterly stocks and winter wheat seeding adding additional context to an interesting first report of 2023. There is a lot to cover today, but DTN's Todd Holtman joins us to dig into all of it, from the department's adjustments to corn and soybean demand figures to updates on the shifting global picture as Latin America barrels towards its harvest season. We'll dive into expectations around the coming La Nina summer, China's future demand for soybeans, and how global wheat stocks are likely to fare in the coming months. Then we'll get an update on ethanol, what we can learn from record-strong basis, and so much more right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Marketplace. Marketing is a year-round business, but it's not your only job. As you focus on field work, monitor your opportunities, and easily make an offer with help from the free DTN Ag Marketplace app. DTN Ag Marketplace facilitates end-to-end grain sales on your schedule. From your mobile device, you can easily connect to local agribusiness to view current cash bids and futures to sell your grain. Need more accountability in your marketing program? The app lets you set goals and monitor progress and enter and track inventory. Start to confidently market your crops with DTN Ag Marketplace. Download it today for free in the Apple Store. Now, back to the show. DTN's lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the January world supply and demand estimates. Todd, not only is January a big report, we also had a couple of reports that came out today. Talk to us about your expectations coming into big report day here in January. (laughs) Yes. The first thing most of us think of, I think, when we think of the January WASD report is that we're going to get final crop estimates from USDA for corn and soybeans in the previous year. And I say so-called final because those do get revised from time to time, as we know, but uh, that, that's the tradition. So they are going to give it one more closer look and make adjustments, which they did today and I'm sure we'll talk about. The other things we had on the docket, the December 1 grain stocks report. Grain stocks reports don't always get a lot of love from traders, but from an analyst perspective, it's, it gives me very important information. And I always like it because it's not someone's opinion or estimate or theory. Grain stocks are actually inventory in hand. It's hard to argue with the inventory that they find. And I think it's one of the best clues of both supplies and demand that we get from USDA. And then lastly, there's a winter wheat seedings report. So we'll have estimates of just what the fall planning period looked like for the season ahead. Well, let's dive in. Give us kind of the top line update for our big crops, and then we'll dig in specifically to the individual changes that we heard. 
Okay. Well, the first surprise of the year, Sarah, I would say, is that USDA came in with lower than expected crop estimates for both corn and soybeans. On corn, they lowered the crop estimate 200 million bushels. We're now down to 13.73. That was certainly lower than I expected. I had been talking to farmers in the eastern corn belt who had a terrific year. And frankly, it tainted me to think that maybe we're going to get a higher crop estimate because their harvest activity was later than everybody else's. And I thought maybe that will skew the number up. But that is not the case. We 200 million bushel less on that crop estimate. For soybeans, the crop estimate came in 70 million bushels less, which was also a significant amount. And both of those findings helped contribute to lower ending stocks. Talk about that update in those lower stocks. Does it seem like there is a wild card that USDA took into account that they hadn't been taking into account earlier? Or is this just final numbers coming in and they finally have a clear picture? Or how do we miss the expectations on this? All summer long, it's a guessing game. And in November, which is the last time some farmers are still in the field, it's not quite completely done for the country. And we also get, I think farmers are probably more confident when they send in production surveys and, and contribute in that later in the season after they get the work of harvest done and so forth. So there's more inputs coming in for them to consider and they take a little closer look and they ended up finding smaller than expected crops, which sometimes feels like that kind of goes against the ordinary bias. Lots of times we see a little expansion of the crops in January. Let's start with corn. You mentioned ending stocks are down a bit. Talk about how USDA kind of broke up those numbers. Where did they pull that final figure from? Yeah, the big concern we had for corn and I had also going into this report was going to be the export demand estimate. Our export sales have been very slow. Uh, exports on the books are only down or are down 47% from a year ago this far into the season. So that's certainly not encouraging. And when we came to this report, we did get a big reduction in the export estimate. It was actually reduced 150 million bushels. Now, that's more than I expected. But at the same time, I didn't expect a smaller crop estimate either. So part of the reduction in the export estimate is related to the fact that we're going to have less corn supplies available this year. But that still is a sizable reduction in the crop estimate and or in the export estimate. The other demand estimate that changed slightly, feed demand came down 25 million bushels, which I think is a modest reduction. And when you consider that we have herd liquidation in cattle this year from drought, and we have avian influenza at record numbers, it, maybe it's a little surprising that it only came down 25 million bushels on the feed estimate. But even incorporating those demand changes, the ending stocks estimate was still lower on the day, 1.24 billion bushels down slightly from where it was in December. So all of a sudden the market has a much more bullish view of corn supplies finishing out the rest of the year. I was curious to see ethanol, kind of ethanol update absent. What is happening with ethanol? Yeah, we had a concern about a month ago. We saw the ethanol price drop dramatically. We've seen gasoline demand come down since September. And it looked like some plants might even idle through the month of December. But fortunately, that only turned out to be a brief lapse. 
in the plant margins for ethanol plants. Ethanol margins have recovered actually quite well now in the last couple of weeks. It's looking more profitable again at the plant level. So that demand should do okay. Even though we've had this kind of slowdown concern the past month or two for ethanol, the pace of actual ethanol production is actually keeping pretty much even with a year ago pace. So it, it was okay in my view for USDA just to stand pat on that estimate today. And speaking of exports, that kind of shifting export picture for corn, as well as I think maybe more prominently for soybeans, but give us the update on where Brazil, Argentina, Ukraine, China fit into kind of the global stocks numbers that USDA landed on here. Yeah, well, we got a real shocker Thursday morning, even before USDA's reports came out. We got updated crop estimates from the Rosario Grain Exchange for Argentina. And in that crop estimate, they slashed their corn crop estimate for Argentina from 55 to 45 million metric tons. Now, USDA reduced its estimate by a few million metric tons, but it didn't go near as deep as the Rosario Exchange did here on Thursday morning. So there may be more room for that corn estimate to come down ahead. We've known for a long time that drought's been an issue. And so far, as we keep unfolding each week and looking at the forecast, it still continues to be a mostly dry forecast, just nothing to relieve the drought situation that they seem to be in right now. On Brazil's side, USDA reduced that corn crop estimate slightly by 1 million metric tons. We're not even yet at the place where Brazil is starting to plant the big safrina corn crop. That'll come after their soybean harvest, so we still have time for that. But having no Argentinian crop this year means that quite soon the U.S. will probably be the main source of export business once Brazil runs out of their corn. And we should be have a pretty open window until about July when Brazil's next big harvest comes around. So it's actually somewhat promising for demand moving forward. And give us the basis update for corn, where it stands right now. Well, I I have to say, if anyone lacks respect for paying attention to the corn basis, this year should cure all of us of any of that, because the corn basis has been the one consistent bullish indicator of corn supplies and demand throughout the entire fall and winter season. And shame on us if we just did not pay strong enough attention to it. But That corn basis, it's still, nationally speaking, it's 10% over the March contract. It stands head and shoulders above where basis has been the past 20 years. So it's a very strong sign. The market was trying to tell us that the corn supplies just weren't out there the way that they were earlier being estimated. And this report helped confirm that. And so hats off to basis. They're, They're kind of the hero of this report. Let's switch gears and talk about soybeans. A little bit of an update on soybean stocks in this report. Did it meet expectations for you? I actually thought the soybean crop estimate might go up a little bit as well because of the Eastern Corn Belt situation, but that's not what happened. They reduced it by 70 million bushels. And so the part that did surprise me is when we look at the demand estimates, I was okay with them leaving the crush total unchanged. But USDA dropped the export estimate by 55 million bushels. Now, again, I understand they're saying that we have less soybean supplies moving forward. And so maybe that merits the drop in the export estimate. But I have to say our soybean sales are quite active this year. We've already got enough on the books that I think we only need about 420 million bushel more sales to achieve USDA's previous export estimate. So 
we went from 2.045, which I think is probably still a good estimate, but now the export estimate's 1.99 billion bushels. Even with that reduction in the export estimate, soybean ending stocks are only being estimated at 210 million bushels. That's not very much. And given the strong crush demand scenario that we have this year, this is a very tight market. Things might get quite this summer. Now, anyone will say, of course, we have a record crop coming from Brazil, so that'll really squash the market. And I agree. No doubt it's going to be tougher to get soybean export sales made for the U.S. from this point forward. But we do have seven and a half months, and I don't think 400 million bushels is too much to ask. You mentioned Brazil there. I'm curious, too, about China, not exports, but demand from China. Are you... Is it keeping pace in the same way as you'd expect for this time of year? Yeah, I think we would have all been better off, Sarah, just not to watch TV or look at the headlines this year when it comes to China. Because if you look at their soybean and soybean meal prices, they're holding up quite well. As I look at those price charts, they're showing no sign of panic and demand. They're not showing any of the COVID problems. And I'll just remind people that COVID or no COVID, people do have to eat. And there's a lot of people in China that need to eat. So that demand trend is really as as strong as ever. And in fact, China's purchases from the U.S. so far on the books are up 15% in this new season from a year ago. So they're off to a pretty brisk pace. And how is soybean basis hanging with corn. I know we've been following a little bit of an, the issue on the Mississippi, but things mostly ad- adapting. Yeah, the soybean basis is actually holding up quite well. It's not in the same category of corn where it's sitting above the past 20 years, but it's the best soybean, strongest soybean basis we've had since 2013. So that's still a very highly rated soybean basis. It's still suggesting that Indeed, it's legitimate that supplies are tight and there is active demand for our U.S. soybeans. And that's the good news. Let me ask about wheat. We haven't talked as much about wheat recently, but yeah, any updates from USDA that surprised you here? And how is the demand picture looking as we head into the beginning of a new wheat crop? The USDA did slightly reduce the ending stocks estimate for wheat from 571 down to 567 million bushels. That's not a big change, I know. The market was looking for a little higher estimate. That didn't come through. It was a shell game. They took 30 million bushels, roughly, of feed demand from the old crop season, and they shifted it to the new crop season. So I'm not sure what that's worth in the end. But overall, it still confirms the expectation that our U.S. wheat supplies are at their lowest level in 15 years. I would say the highlight of the report today for wheat was in the December 1 grain stocks category. And in December 1 wheat stocks, they showed up at 1.28 billion bushels. Now, that's less than was expected. The market was looking for 1.35 billion bushels. This is also the lowest total for this date in 15 years. And so it, it showed a couple things. It showed, number one, that we are legitimately on track for the lowest ending stocks in 15 years. But it also shows that in spite of slow export sales for wheat, the demand pace has actually not been too bad. It's held in there and it's just, it's a legitimately tight supply situation. And it baffles me that wheat prices aren't reflecting that yet. 
Yeah. Is there, I want to check in on the global picture. Obviously the attention in the wheat market has been very focused on Ukraine and Russia, but yeah. Is there anything in the global picture that makes you think that adjusts your expectations of wheat prices or what is happening in the wheat market? (laughs) That's a great question. If I had to play devil's advocate and look for bearish factors for wheat, I could say that USDA's crop estimate for Russia still is lower than most at 91 million metric tons. And I think part of that has to do with boundary confusion during the war and the fact that Russia has been stealing wheat from Ukraine. And I suspect that maybe USDA is treating that differently than other people making estimates is part of the answer there. We also have a record crop predicted for Australia in their harvest, although there's an asterisk on Australia's crop because they got so much heavy rain at harvest time that it looks like a lot of that's going to be poor quality feed, even though it is a legitimately big crop. And then there's been talk lately that uh, Argentina looks to have a record planting of wheat for the next crop ahead. And it looks like they're in line for a record harvest if weather cooperates, et cetera. So those are about the most bearish things that you can find about wheat. But even given all that, USDA is still expecting the lowest supplies of surplus wheat in the world. And I'm excluding China from that number but lowest supplies in 14 years. It's it's legitimately a market that does not have surplus problems, but the prices just aren't reflecting those supply conditions yet. Speaking of the price, what is the wheat basis looking like as of now? For the U.S., it's actually fairly average looking. It's just under its five-year average, and that's looking at the hard red winter wheat cash price and basis there. So it doesn't have the same strength or urgency that we see in the corn and soybean market. There's not the same competition for buying wheat that we see in corn and soybeans, but it's just hanging close to average. Okay. And while we're talking about wheat, might as well check in anything in that winter wheat seedings report that gave you some optimism as we look ahead? Of all the reports that we saw Thursday, the winter wheat seedings is the one that came closest to being bearish. Now, the trade was thinking that USDA was going to estimate 34 and a half million acres of winter wheat planted last fall. Today's number, they actually came up with just shy of 37 million acres. So it was more than expected. And in every category, HRW wheat, SRW wheat, and white winter wheat, they were all came in a little higher than expected on their planted acreage levels. Now, this is the highest winter wheat planting in seven years. But in case that sounds bearish to you, I should also mention it's about the same amount of wheat we planted in 1914. So these are still historically very low levels of wheat that we're planting in this country. And of course, we have some very serious drought problems in the southwestern plains that are known. So that HRW wheat crop is going to have a very tough time in the season ahead. And probably not so much planted acreage that we expect to offset that 15-year low in stocks. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any way that could possibly happen. And of course, a lot of these planted acres will probably be abandoned for something else by the time we get to spring. Before we switch gears and talk a little bit about livestock, I wanted to check in on anything else interesting that you saw in that grain stocks report. We touched on it a little bit with soybeans, but anything else out of the grain stocks report that, that yeah, you thought was worth taking note of? 
Yeah. The one thing I forgot to mention earlier, the corn export estimate for Ukraine was increased by 3 million metric ton. They're now up to 20 and a half million metric ton. It, it's, I think, just a testament to how well they've been able to ship grain out of there under very extremely difficult circumstances. The way it stands right now, Ukraine's corn exports are about 24% less than they were a year ago. So given the war, I think that's pretty impressive that they've been able to ship that much. And on the wheat side, it's closer to roughly less than a year ago. So there, there has been progress, but again, obviously it's an extremely difficult situation there. We've touched on drought in Latin America. There's been also some wild weather happening in the U.S. as well. I'm curious whether you have your eye on any kind of winter weather news that you think might start to affect markets as we get a little bit closer to planting. Of course, the most excitement as far as winter weather goes has been Argentina. And and even among traders, we're seeing the specs jump into the long side of the soybean market. Even knowing that Brazil has this big record crop on the way, they're willing to jump in front of that because of all the attention that Argentina is getting with its drought. So that's probably the main excitement. As far as the forecast looking ahead, the next several months, the HRW wheat crop maybe has a chance for some moisture in February and March, but then the forecast turns dry again, basically from the rest of March through May. So we don't have a very encouraging outlook for the HRW wheat crop this year. The Eastern Corn Belt has gotten lots of moisture and ought to be in good shape by springtime. And uh, I think probably spring wheat areas across the Northern Plains will get more moisture by the time we get to spring. So overall, when it comes to summer, we're looking at our first summer in a while where we have not had a La Nina influence. There's a very good chance we're going to see much more normal temperature and precipitation opportunities than we've seen the past couple of years. Welcome relief, I think, for a lot of folks. Speaking of other big news items, politics and the dysfunction therein has been a kind of central feature of kind of mainstream news. I'm curious whether we've also started hearing conversations about the farm bill start in a little bit more earnest. Anything on the political side making you think about how it might impact markets going forward? Oh, boy. I'm still very concerned about whether we're going to have enough oil production We're not going to have the strategic petroleum reserve, I don't think, available to help us as much as we saw last summer. And so it's going to be interesting to see if we can generate enough production to to meet our needs. But I don't even know what to say about the farm bill. I think there's just going to be so much back and forth negotiation all year long on that. Uh, I guess I'm not seeing any strong tie to the markets. Maybe the strongest tie that anything political has to markets right now is just but has to do with the war in Ukraine. I'm curious. It seems as the winter ebbs, which is not happening anytime soon in Russia, but (laughs) it eventually will ebb. And probably February was a very critical month last year, obviously. Are you expecting to see shifts or changes in the situation there that might impact trade in the region or the sense of optimism in the market? Yeah, that's a very tough call. How do you how do you outguess Mr. Putin and what he's up to? So far, he's just been stubbornly persistent in keeping the attacks up in especially in eastern and southern Ukraine. And a lot of that winter wheat is 
been planted and grows in eastern Ukraine. That's where the thick of a lot of the fighting is. It, financially, I wonder how long Russia can maintain this kind of expensive type of adventure. It's hard to see what they're getting out of it. What's the payoff for Russia in this? Very hard to see what those benefits are. And I think there is some public support eroding slowly at home, but is it going to be enough to really change anything over there? It's just a very tough call. And of course, and I'm always concerned about the nuclear plant in Ukraine, and there's still a lot of fighting and bombing and missile attacks around that site. So we're just always not too far away from a much more serious situation. Last question, I think from my end is maybe the biggest thing driving perceptions, I think, or maybe senses of optimism for the upcoming crop year 2023, now that we're officially here, is just the economic factors, input costs, inflation, what the Fed's going to do, all of those questions. I'm curious where or how you think that is weighing on the market right now and whether you think that is going to be a principal driver going into the 2023 crop year. Yeah, I think the interest rates will have to stay high according to the Fed policy. And even though we got slight improvement in the December consumer price index reports, somewhat encouraging, but I don't think it gives me any reason to think that the Federal Reserve is going to back away from further rate hikes in 2023. And of course, that'll be a drag on some parts of the economy. Overall, again, it's I don't see it as a big issue in terms of of ruining our grain markets at this point. It'll make it, obviously it makes farming more expensive for some farmers, but as far as having a severe impact on the grain market, it's hard to see that. I continue to see inflation as a production problem for oil and gas, as well as food. And of course, weather could help out that price pressures this year. If we had good weather globally, as as well as in the U.S., that could certainly help things out. But the supply of the oil and gas, or oil especially, used to be a very tight scenario. Russia's production is going to be down probably one and a half million barrels a day this year. The U.S. is struggling to increase its oil production. We're just up a fraction from a year ago. And so it'll be very, I think the price pressure is still going to come from oil in spite of the high interest rates. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com 
and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show.